0: witness about yourself your testimony is not true jesus answered even if i do bear witness about myself my testimony is true for i know where i came from and where i'm going but you do not know where i came come from or where i'm going you judge according to the flesh i judge no one yet even if i do judge my judgment is true for it is not i alone who judge but i and the father who sent me in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the word of God for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we, we humbly submit ourselves to you uh, before your word, um, that God, your word is life and, and your word is a, is a lamp unto our feet. And we know your word is authoritative and sufficient, and we know it's the primary way in which you have chosen to speak to us. And so we ask now by the Holy Spirit that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to hear and receive what you want to say to us this morning. And as James says, let let us not just be hearers of the word, but also let us be doers, uh, lest we deceive ourselves. So we need your help. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week I I mentioned, if I were going to talk to somebody about Christianity, or I was going to talk to somebody about Jesus, or or, or what it means to follow Jesus, one one of the places I would go would be the Gospel of John. And I would look at these seven I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Because I think it, what it does is it kind of unpacks for us who this Jesus is and what he said and what he came to do and what he says about himself and what he says about the faith. And, and as we kind of unravel the onion, if you will, and pull back the layers, is we see a lot of Uh, a a, a clear picture of who God is because the Gospel of John itself will say if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. If you've seen the Father, you've seen the Son because there's all kinds of warped and, and, and misleading understandings of who God is and Christianity is all about because of this God, right? That we 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 create these pictures of well, this angry God or this God who's really not interested in creation who just kind of sets the world in motion and kind of steps back and, and just lets it go and, and this uninterested God or this God that's just Christianity is just about rules and regulations and and being good people or or voting Republican or you know whatever it is and yet if we look at Jesus we see. Who this God is, and we see the Father, we see the Son, and we see it in this interaction between Jesus and, and the Pharisees. And so last week we, we looked at, Jesus said, I am the bread of, of life, I'm the bread of heaven, that I've, I've come to give you something that can satisfy the deepest parts of who you are, something that, that you'll never go hungry or thirst, something that's eternal, and, and it, it says a lot about who God is, that, that all of us are hungry and thirsty, right? All of us have these appetites that just can't seem to be satisfied. No amount of, of marriage or kids or job or money or success or things. It just seems like there's always something, this ache, this deep little hum in our souls that just never seemed to get us where we want to be. And yet Jesus says, I've come to, to meet all your needs. I've come to care for you and love you and save you and, and redeem you and, and forgive you. And so, so this week we're going to look at John chapter 8 where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And to kind of frame that this morning very very simply, hopefully clearly, is, is going to ask a question, what does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the light of the world? How do we get this light, and why does it matter that Jesus is the light of the world? So what does Jesus mean? Well, it, I think it's really helpful for us to understand that the kind of backdrop where Jesus is actually making these, these statements, and if you look back in John chapter 7, it's during the Feast of Booths or the Feast of, of Tabernacles, and so he's, he's preaching in the synagogue, he's talking to a lot of Jewish people that would, would know these traditions very well, and, and this is where he's going to actually say, make these statements that I am uh, the light of the world. And so if you were to participate in the, the Feast of, of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, it was a way that Israel would remember when they wandered in the desert. And so, so you would build this kind of, kind of temporary uh, dwelling place, and they'd go outside in the desert and kind of remember when God took care of his people, and they would do this Uh, during different parts of the year to remember God's salvation to remember God's provision and one other thing that they would do during uh, this Jewish festival and this Jewish tradition is they would light these giant candles in Jerusalem that would essentially almost light up the whole city now for us that's kind of hard to imagine like how I mean that's some serious candles like what kind of I mean ladies are like what where do we get those candles I I want candles like that right Um, but 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 think of it this way we didn't have they didn't have street lights like we do um, like, I'm a city guy. I was talking to a friend this week, and, and it's funny. When I go to the wilderness, I get really anxious because um, I'm so used to lights and noise and helicopters and gunshots and, and all these things, and, uh, and it, it kind of freaks you out. Like, when things go really pitch black, right, when you don't have light, it, it, it's kind of disorienting. So, so imagine in the temple, they have these giant lights that they light, and it's, it, it's beaming this light in the whole city. And so this is where Jesus makes this statement, I am this light that as the, the candles flicker and, and go out, here comes Jesus and say, there's going to be a day, even Revelation says it, that there's not going to be a sun anymore. There's not going to be light anymore because I'm going to be your sun. I'm going to be your light. And, and it was always, all these festivals were always pointing to this light that was going uh, to come. And, and if you remember in the Old Testament, you know, when we think about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths and, the, and this light, you remember how Jesus showed his light in the Old Testament when they're going through the, the desert in, in Exodus chapter 13. Um, very interesting. The presence of God was, was manifested through, in verse 21 of Exodus 13, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from me b- before the people. So even in the Old Testament, this light, that during the day, again, you're in the desert, right? It's It's hot. Right? If you've been to the desert, I, I grew up about two hours from Palm Springs, which is just sweaty hot. And, and if anyone tells you it's a dry heat, just whatever. Uh, a dry heat at 115 is still hot, people. Come on. Right. At least it's not humid. Whatever. Um, and, and so, so th- this, you're in the desert, and, and during the day you need shade. right? It's, it's very hot. So God's people are wandering through the desert. And God, in his grace and in his kindness, says, I'm going to send a cloud to shade you and protect you by day. And then by night, when the desert is disorienting and it's cold and it's dark and you can't see in front of your hand, I'm going to provide fire and lead you. My presence is going to lead you. And so all of these these pictures, all of this imagery is, is the backdrop of when Jesus comes into the temple and says, and makes this bold statement that I am The light of the world; that whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, light in the scriptures is is all over the place. If you if you read the Bible at all, or you've been around the church at all, you you probably have these. You may have some cool T shirts or mugs that have reference to light. Um, But but light's an important image, and you know Jesus already said earlier. We we actually just read this and said this together as as a as a confession in John chapter one and verse nine. He says the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. Psalm uh, 27 verse 1. It says something interesting about light. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So, so salvation and light are, are, are brought Together, That Jesus is this light who can bring the salvation, who can enlighten our hearts and our minds. And that's where Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, maybe you're familiar with this, this text. I, I love this text. This, this understanding of what actually happens when we become a Christian, when we come awakened spiritually, what, what is going on? Where Paul uses the imagery of light in 2 Corinthians 4. He says 4.4, uh, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That it's not actually until the light of Christ, the glory, the beauty, the mercies, the kindness of God illuminates our hearts pushes back sin, pushes back darkness, that we can actually see and believe and not just see Jesus as some rabbi who walked around 2,000 years ago. But to see him as Lord of lords and king of kings, creator and redeemer, it takes a supernatural miracle. The same miracle that happened in creation. It's that powerful. When God said, let there be light, and that's actually one of my my favorite pictures because I think all of these images of light hang on the... hang in the balance when we understand creation because remember at the beginning of the Bible, the first chapter, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was without void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light, and there was light and God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness, God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day now, how many times have you read that? right? Sunday school, you know, probably did flannel graft, did something, you know, grafted out, here's God. You know, the, the days of creation. But you ever thought how significant it is that God begins creation with light? There's a little science lesson here. Now my, my wife, <clears throat> who's very blunt, and uh, tells me uh, straight out how I'm screwing things up, and, and it's good for my soul. And I told my son that I'm going to use this word in my sermon, <clears throat> because I love the word, and it helps us understand Genesis 1. Um, But why does God give light first in creation? It's because it's what we call photosynthesis. Remember high school, biology, science class? Photosynthesis is when light comes, it's responsible for maintaining the oxygen content of the Earth's atmosphere, supplies all the organic compound and most of the energy necessary for life on Earth. If there's no light, there's no sunlight, everything dies. Now, Moses writing writing the creation account is not writing a scientific tome, by the way. But it is fascinating that God would say, if there's no light, there's no life. Jesus is our photosynthesis. Can we use that? My son said that was cheesy, but I'm going to go with it. Because as I thought about that, I said, yes, you're so amazing, so brilliant, so powerful that you would say that even in creation, even in science, to understand that if there's no light, there's no life, there's no breath. We all die in an instant. And so the thing that you and I need is this light on a basic level just to breathe in our lungs, to take in this oxygen. And so so this oxygen can can do its work through our lungs and through our blood and through our veins and that Jesus is the creator, but he's also the, re- the redeemer and he's using these images of light to say without me, there is no light and there is no life, that I am to be the photosynthesis of your life because I'm the photosynthesis of the universe. I don't think it's that cheesy. <laughs> now, to understand the photosynthesis of Jesus, go back to John chapter 8. Is the moment Jesus says this, which always happens when he makes a bold claim, is there's always conflict. There's always disagreement, right? The religious people come around. The Pharisees come around. I think to understand what does Jesus mean about I am the lie of the world, notice the, the response of these Pharisees. In verse 13, he says, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And so Jesus says, I'm the lie of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And they say, no, no way. What is this authority you have? Do you think you could just make these claims and, and say, like, we don't even know, you're just this rabbi from, from Nazareth. I mean, nothing good comes from Nazareth. How would you have the gall to make such claims of authority? But notice how Jesus defends himself. Because on one level, the Pharisees are right. If, if you're going to uh, say something, you need a testimony and you need a witness. You need at least one other person. And so they're just like, you're just roaming around just saying these things about God and, and making these claims. How, how can you say such, such things? But, but notice how Jesus appeals to his own authority and his own testimony by his mission. Notice that, did you catch that in verse 14? Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going this is an indictment against the pharisees he's saying saying i know where i came from i came from the father from heaven that i I came to redeem and restore all things that the god so loved the world he sent his only son i'm being obedient to the father and he says but if you knew that you wouldn't even be asking me this question that you'd be so excited that i'm the photosynthesis of the universe now they wouldn't have known about photosynthesis at that time but let's just pretend because i want to use the word as many times as i can this sunday prove my wife and kid wrong. They're not even in here. That's just how much they, they feel about me and they're, I don't know, serving kids or something, whatever. But, but the reality is, if you knew where I came from, then, then you wouldn't even be asking and questioning my authority. That I'm the light of all creation. That I give light to all things. And then he says a very indicting thing, essentially saying they're lost because you don't even know where you came from and what you actually need. Because these questions are ridiculous. And that's the predicament of the human soul, and that's every human, is, is we are lost, and we need light to guide us, right? The world is disoriented, it is a wilderness, and, and we do need some, someone to come and say, follow me, I, I know where life is found, I know where, where grace is found, I know where hope is, is found, come, let, let's go. And so they, he appeals to his own mission, I, I've come to redeem and restore what was, what was lost. He also appeals to his own relationship to the Father. You saw that in verse 15 and 16. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even in, if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. That Jesus Christ is the only one that can be the ultimate judge because he has a Father who's telling him and showing him that this is how it works. Now, now it's very interesting how, how Jesus kind of talks about that because we know on one level, like it's not a true statement, is it? Like Jesus doesn't judge? Well, actually, he does. Yeah, he's been given authority to judge, but he doesn't judge according to the world's standards. So, so, what does that mean? Well, see, the Pharisees are looking at Jesus and they're seeing this, you know, first century rabbi from Nazareth with, you know, this broke rabbi with these you know, ragtag disciples, and they're and he's making claims about I am the light of the world and, and 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 I'm the bread of life and and I've come from the Father, and they're just going like, that guy? Like Joseph's son, the carpenter, I mean, he makes really nice furniture. We will give him that. Just never seems to wobble. Our furniture seems to wobble. But, but that guy, it, it's on that, that human level, isn't it? There was nothing in Jesus that, that got us excited. He just looked like an everyday dude. Probably slivers in his hands when he shook his hand. Probably that, that rough, manly uh, hands that I don't possess. Um, but Dan Mock does, right? It's like, well, those are smooth. You haven't done an ounce of work in your whole life, have you? It's like, no, it's, I'm a thinking guy. I'm a, I'm a praying guy. I'm a book guy. I, mean, I have, you know, paper cuts, but anyway. <laughs> well, you know that manly handshake? I, I remember, you know, my, I had some grandpas and uncles that just like you, you, you shake their hand and just like you're bleeding out, right? There's just like metal slivers in their hands. I, I love it. It's not me, but, but, but that, that guy... He says, no, no, you, you don't understand. You're, you're only looking at it on the, on the human worldly standard. You need eyes to see. That I have a relationship with the Father and he sent me. So I'm not saying anything crazy. I'm just saying what the Father's telling me to say. To say that I am the light of the world. That I am the bread of life. That I've come to redeem and restore all things. And yet you're looking at it all wrong. He also appeals to his divine origin in verse uh, 23. If you jump down to verse 23. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So again, there's all these levels going on with Jesus saying, "Saying I'm from from somewhere else. I'm not of this world. Like like I'm not I'm not a, a dependent on it. I'm I'm from outside of it. I actually made it, which is amazing when you really think about it. Like I made you. I mean, Jesus is just sitting there going, like I, I made you. You don't know what you're saying. I come from somewhere else. I'm not speaking crazy talk." And this is what makes Jesus so unique is that, if again, I've said this many Sundays for 10, nine years, is, is that Jesus isn't saying, I'm a good teacher, I'm a wise counselor, I'm a good example. Is, is he's saying, I have a divine origin that you should listen to me because I'm not from here. <laughs> I, I don't speak from within the culture. I'm outside the culture. And that's a, the uniqueness of Jesus and the inclusivity of Jesus is, is not a hard thing to say. He doesn't say what other religious teachers and philosophers and, and, and world religions say. He says, I, I've come from God. I am God. Not do these things and maybe God will throw you a bone or do these things and God will bless you or, or say your prayers or, or go on this mission or, or be a good person and maybe, just maybe, you'll get into heaven. But, but heaven has come down to us in the person of Jesus. So, so he appeals to his divine origin that he can make these claims about being the light of the world. You're from below but I'm from heaven. And then he also appeals to his future. That Jesus is going to be, we see that in verse 28, his future, when you have uh, lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. That Jesus' mission was always to go to the cross and be resurrected from the dead. And Isn't that fascinating when you read the Gospels, how many times Jesus has to say that? Hey, just so you know, this is the mission. This is where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. He keeps telling the disciples, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to be resurrected on the third day. And, you know, they're talking about temple. It's like, well, you can't, you're going to tear down the temple on the third day. I'm so confused. What's going on here, Jesus? And he keeps saying, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to resurrect. And then he actually does it. And they're nowhere to be found. Oh, yeah, we should have, should have been listening a little closer, right? I'll never, Peter, I'll never deny you, oh, Jesus. Never, never in a million years. I love you. I'm I'm in it to, to win it, right? And then the man comes to him and he goes, I don't even know the guy. You see, his future, he's pointing to his authority because he says, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to be, I'm going to die for your sins and I'm going to resurrect from the dead. I'm going to be exalted to the place of ultimate authority. And this is why I can say that I'm the light of the world, giving light to all things, pushing back the darkness. And so it's really important for us to understand that when when Jesus makes these statements, that Jesus isn't just an example for emulation. He is on one level, but but he's he's come as our, our savior. He's come from another world. He's he's come to do something we couldn't do for ourselves. Because what you and I need is not an example or a sage or you know, those are those are good for inspiration, but that still leaves us in our sins. As Jesus said here, verse 21, 24. You know, there's nothing wrong with, with people, that, wise teachers that can give us good advice of, of how to not make a mess of our marriages or our parenting or our jobs and, and kind of give us common wisdom. But what we need is, is a Savior who can forgive our sins, who can give us life from above, who, who can deal with our, our true root problems, mainly sin and separation from God, our Creator, our Redeemer. And I find when, when you know, someone's just a great example of, of you know, what marriage looks like and what you know, this looks like and that, sometimes you just feel kind of stinky about the whole thing. I could never be that. But that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't say, come and just be like me, grit it out. He's saying, you need something deeper. You need, you need your soul change. You need your heart change. You need salvation. You need your sins forgiven. And I'm the light of the world that, that shines into the darkness, shines into your dark heart, shines into those broken, ugly places. That I'm raising people from the dead. By my spirit, by my grace, by my love, by my redemption. So how do we get in on this light? How do we get, on, get in on this? Like, like, how do we, you know, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Those who, uh, uh, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Well, Jesus makes it very, very clear how we get on that. Right there in verse 12. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever trusts me by faith. And I, I could say there is an element of emulation here. Because in the first century, when, when a rabbi would come and he would, he would go, and this is really interesting if you study kind of rabbinic history is that typical rabbis would uh, kind of have their body of teaching, their body of work, and the, the disciples would come to them and say, I want to learn from this rabbi. But what makes Jesus very unique, and how we even understand faith and the gospel and election and all that kind of stuff, is Jesus would actually go and choose his disciples, as you, you've probably read in the scriptures. Come and follow me, right? He goes and finds Peter and Andrew and John and James and... Right? They didn't have anything <laughs> meritorious about them. They weren't good kids from the right schools, the right you know, Jewish parochial schools. They were the kids from the wrong side of the tracks. It's such a beautiful picture of what the gospel is about and what Jesus is about and what Christianity is all about that Jesus goes after the ragtags, the ones that don't fit. <laughs> and and he, says, he says, come and, and follow me. And so, so if you were following a rabbi during the day, yes, you'd want to learn from them. you want to emulate them. You'd want to obey them. you want to arrange your universe around this rabbi. You would follow in his steps, of course, and amen. But isn't that so funny how the disciples, I mean, we always say like, well, if I was a disciple, I would have you know, really understood it and, and got it. And yet here they are for three years. And Jesus keeps saying, hey, catch this. Hey, this is why I did this. Hey, here's some teaching on this. What does this parable mean, Jesus, right? And they're following and, they're, and yet they're arguing half the time. Hey Jesus, you gonna remember me in the kingdom? I mean, can I sit it through right hand? That would be pretty awesome. And he's just going, You don't you don't get it, do you? What I've been talking about all this time. And my kingdom's not a kingdom of power and strength. It's a kingdom of weakness and dying to self. And so, so the way we, we get in on this is we, we follow Jesus, we trust him, we emulate him, we obey him, we arrange our, our lives around this light of the world. But we also, just like it said in verse 28, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, is that we also need to see him lifted up on the cross. That if there's no cross, there's no gospel, there's no Christianity. That's, it's not, again, it's not a, a good teacher, a wise, moral sage that gives us some inspiration for living to get through another day. But we see him lifted up, and then we see our own sin, we see our own need, we see our own weakness to say, what's broken in me cannot be fixed by mere willpower and good juju thoughts. And positive thinking and self-help, because myself is the problem. And so the light has come, and, and, and it's interesting in John chapter 12, I won't, I won't go there, but, but Jesus talks about how he's going to go to the cross. And, and the cross is going to prove his authority. The cross is going to prove his divinity and, and what he came to do. And, and it's so interesting in, in John chapter 12, because when Jesus dies, this, this light doesn't get extinguished, does it? Like like it just keeps going, right? So he's not just a rabbi, he's not just a messiah. There are a lot of them during that day. But this movement explodes and takes off. I mean, there's no reason, if you study history, there's no reason Christianity should have ever got off the ground. It doesn't make any sense unless God's involved. Right? Do you ever think about that? I think it's one of the greatest apologetics that the church is still here. Like, we're here 2,000 years later. Like, how is that possible? It's, we have had seasons of absolute, what I'd call a train wreck in church history, and we're still here. I mean, you're here. I mean, look at you. Have you looked at yourselves? <laughs> Nightmare. And yet, God is still redeeming and restoring and making this thing called the church of beautiful people. All their flaws and all their, all their, all their wars. And so, so when he's raised from the dead, the light doesn't get extinguished. It just gets more powerful. Right, this, this group of 12 that became 11, and, and then when Jesus is all said and done, he's got maybe 120 followers. No money, no resources, no power, nothing. There's no reason this thing should get off the ground. Living on the fringes of culture, being uh, persecuted, suffering, and yet it just keeps going and going to every tribe and tongue and nation around the world to this day. Two, two billion Christians on the planet. There's no way this thing should even be going. Unless... Jesus is who he says he is. And he is the true light that has come. That shines light into darkness. Unless he is from above. And he is in this perfect relationship with the Father. And the same relationship that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have shared for all of eternity. John 17 says, I want to share that with my people as well. I want you to come into this new fellowship and this new relationship and experience what i've experienced for all of eternity that's been my mission from day one god doesn't need us there's nothing in the father and the son and the spirit that that is insecure we're so lonely up here we just need some people right never said that ever but, but it also shows his, his love for us, right? He doesn't need us for anything. There's nothing that's incomplete in God. There's nothing he says, if I just had some friends, if I just had Ryan on my team, I mean, if, if I had Ryan on my team, things would go a lot better in the universe, right? He's such a good guy. Just loves everyone so perfectly and so well. I just need him on my, my team. And he's got like a really average jump shot, but I, I'd love to just get him on my team, right? He's never said that. But, but in his love and in his kindness, he still says, I want you, even in your sin, even in your, your broken, even all the things you've done to hurt people, even all the things you've said, all the things, all the things that, that could, I could just boot you out for all of eternity. I have every right to do that. He says, you're mine. And just what we sang here this morning, I forget the name of the song, I think it was the first song, but I mean, it's, it's straight Romans 8, right? Nothing can separate us from the love Christ. No famine, nor sword, no amount of sin, nothing. But God's not needy, and yet the cross says, I still love you, and I'm doing something about your sin. And I'm doing something about your darkness. And so to get in on this is, is to follow, it's to trust, it's to see him as crucified, not just as a good example, but to see him as Savior. Because my, my own heart and my own sin is too great. My life is too weak. I'm lost if, if Jesus is just a nice moral teacher or a philosopher of the age. But if he died and he rose again, there's always hope. Because he's a living God, and we have a living hope, so Peter says. Don't you find it fascinating that the guy who, full of doubt, bailed on Jesus, is the one who said... who who penned First Peter by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have this living hope because we have this resurrected Jesus. The one who didn't understand what was going on as it was happening. He says, that's where my hope is found. The same guy. That gives me a lot of hope for me and for you. So how do we get it? We trust. We see the crucified one. And then why does it matter? Why does it matter? Let's, let's close with this. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that Jesus is, is the light of the world? Well, the, the world's a confusing place. Sin and pain and exhaustion, would you agree? Um, that we're not going to survive without the photosynthesis of Jesus, We're really not, on, on a lot of levels. <laughs> that if God himself doesn't even give us light on a, on a general level, you know, we, we can't breathe. But on, on a, a spiritual level, we need his light, we need his grace, we need his mercy. And there's a couple things that I, I was thinking about this week that, that's really important for us uh, of why Jesus, why he, it matters that he is the light of the world. And one is, this, is simply this, is that Jesus is the light for our own conscience. Isn't it amazing to think that a lot of people live with tons and tons of regret? Maybe you're in this room. Regret over you know, love lost or things you've done or said or, or relationships that, are, that fell apart or, or just dumb things, whatever it is. But, but what's so beautiful about the light of Jesus is that he, he soothes our conscience in all of our past sins. That if you belong to Jesus, he keeps you, he forgives you. There's nothing that you could screw up permanently. Do you realize that? Like even now, as a believer, there's nothing, if you are in Christ, there's nothing you can totally destroy. There's no plan B for Jesus. Like once you belong to him, you always belong to him. And so there's something about that gives us this light of Jesus comes into our lives, and he, he kind of soothes our conscience. He, he reminds us that I forgive you, and I, I love you, that you belong to me. Right before in John chapter eight, the woman caught in, adult, in adultery. I, I find that, that story very humbling, is that she has sinned like crazy. It's not minimized in that text at all. There's other examples in Scripture. Jesus doesn't just mop over it and go, yeah, that's fine, whatever. But he says, I did something about your sin, about your adultery. Ryan, I, I've done something about your anger and your lust. I, I've done something for that and the people you've hurt. I, I took your your place, Ryan. I, I'm not going to leave you there. I don't want to leave. Go sin and no more. I don't want to leave you there. It's going to destroy your life, but the light of Christ has, has come, and I've, I've done something for you. I've forgiven you. You. I've clothed you with the righteousness of Christ. It's one of the most beautiful doctrines that needs to get deep in our hearts, not just as an ideology, but as an experience of our lives. We talked about this this week in Men's Bible Study. That Jesus became sin for us. And it's his perfect record that we're given by faith. As if we've never sinned at all. Do you believe that? That's how Jesus sees you. That's how the Father sees you. Even when you screw up, it doesn't mean we don't confess. It doesn't mean we don't repent. Of course we do. We're commanded to do that as well. But the righteousness of Christ covers you. The light of Jesus soothes our conscience because he did something that we could not do ourselves. We couldn't keep the law. We couldn't keep the commands. We fall short every single day. Yet Jesus says, I love you. I'm going to give you some new clothes. Some new clothes. Put on. Try these on. See how they fit. I think it matters that Jesus is the lie of the world because Jesus is also our light when it's dark and he shows us where to go. Again, all these, these great images of, of light in the scriptures. You know, one of, the, one of the great lights that we have is the scriptures themselves. Psalm 119, verse 105, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 130. The unfolding of your words give light and imparts understanding to the simple. I, I love Psalm 119. Go meditate on There's like 900 verses, but, but it's just there's some beautiful teaching in there that, that, that even the, 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 the smartest person it, it doesn't matter. You have a PhD in, in, in biology, a PhD in, 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 in you know sending rockets to the moon. I don't know if that's a thing, but, but the word of God is even wiser than the wisest person or the smartest person. It shows us who we are. It shows us how, what the world is and who God is and, and why things went haywire. That God himself is the wisdom of God. And so, so Jesus is our light at night, showing us where to go by his scripture, by his word. And the whole word, isn't this fascinating? The whole world word points to him. So, so from Genesis to Revelation, the is about him. And it's revealing him, come to him. John chapter five, he's railing on the religious people saying the problem is you know the scripture's Backwards and forwards, but you don't come to me for life. You don't see me on every page. What the whole thing's about. The Holy Spirit also guides our lives. Romans 8 13. That we're led by the Spirit of God. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God leading you. So Jesus says, I, I'm I'm your cloud, I'm your shade. I'm your glory light. I'm with you always by my word, by my spirit, guiding your light, life in the darkness. Isn't it a, a, just a great grace? This is just, let, let me just stand over here. This is like a side note, like over here. I just think of, of the scriptures as just this means of grace that is absolutely astounding. We live in 2019. You can go to the Christian bookstore or go on Amazon. It's a big company called Amazon.com. It's pretty cool. Um, and uh, you can order like 19 different versions of this in English, study Bibles, whatever. This is where God speaks to us. What a grace that is. That each day of my life, when I'm full of worry and anxiety and sin and doubt and struggle, is I can open the scriptures in the morning in my office and hear God speak to me. Anybody else amazed by that? Like, like any time, any place, on my phone, I mean, it's getting ridiculous, right? I mean, it's just like anywhere. It doesn't, you want to do that on paper, you want to print it out, you want it on a phone, you want it on your... I was just talking to someone talking about audio books and, and audio Bibles. You can listen to it as you, you know, try to keep your sanity on a road trip with your kids as they're screaming and they, they're farting and they're just losing their minds. And I can just pump in the scriptures, oh God, help me now. If you want to return now, hey, I'll be okay with that. This trip's costing me a fortune and it smells in the backseat. But maybe give them a little more time, just want to make sure they know you. But, but you know, all these things swirling through my head, I can hear God speak. And know that there's one who's leading me and guiding me where I need to go. And I can do that with my church family. As we gather this afternoon in city groups and during the week in women's and Bible studies and, and with friends around coffee, we can, we can hear God speak to us. That we're not left in the darkness. And also, I think there's another significant thing, is that Jesus gives us a greater love and light to fight sin. And oh God, how we need that. That when we follow Jesus, darkness is pushed out. Light always pushes out darkness and it always reveals. And I just want to let you in on a little, little secret. It's not really a secret, it's pretty obvious, but the reality of, of sanctification and becoming more like Christ is the more you walk in the light, the more you see your own stains and your dirt and your grime. Like We've, we've totally missed this. Like we think becoming a Christian is, oh, now I'm in the light of Christ and so now everything's perfect. It's like, no, the more you're near Jesus, the more you're near his light, the more you're near his word, the more you're trying to follow his ways, the more junk you see in your own life, right? Those are actually the godly people. How many times have you heard me say, I thought I would be a little bit further along than I am right now? Following Jesus for 20 years, and it's like, what? What? Like, like that thought, that came out of my mouth. Like, I, I'm so impatient. Like that, God, oh, how long, oh Lord, right? And, and, and yet, it's as we get next to Jesus, we see the grime, but we also see his grace and we see his mercy, right? is that a weird, and it's not exactly related to light, but, but isn't it weird if, if you've ever like painted a room in your house? The rest of your house just looks like a train wreck. It's like, oh, how did we live in this place? right? You're like, we should have painted that room many, many years ago, right? And it's just that, that clean coat, that, that, that picture, the dirt is gone, the grime is gone, but then when you compare it to the other parts of the house, you're just like, oh, who would want to be in our house? And we have like four kids, so there's just handprints and, you know, pee on the walls and, and just, I mean, who knows? That's not a joke. That's not a metaphor. That's just truth. Sorry. I got three boys. The girl's gonna... Be the totally opposite. She's going to be sweet and not pee on the walls, which I'm really excited about that. If you have boys, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. Anyone? Don't leave me alone up here. And you have a grown man in the house, but I don't have time for that. But the reality is the more we walk in the light, the more we still see our own depravity, our own darkness, our own sin. But we marvel at and we thank God that He doesn't treat us as we deserve. And his grace becomes so much sweeter. If, if you're not experiencing that as you get older, you will. The fact you're still here. And, you, and as you walk in the light, and you just still see this stuff in your life, and just go like, oh gosh, Ryan. But his gospel, his grace, his mercies, they're just that much sweeter. That he's still with us, and he's still leading us, and he's still our light, and he's still our hope. I, uh, I have this fascination with crime shows. And uh, one of the things they do, and I don't know what they call the little device, but they, they take out this little <laughs> special light. And I don't know if you've ever seen this. And I've seen this on like Dateline. It's really disgusting. I saw one in a, a fast food restaurant. They shine this light on like the, the little uh, trays that you eat off of. And the things they find on there, oh, don't, you don't want to know. But they go into like a hotel room and there maybe there's been a crime or whatever. And they just start shining this light on everything blood i mean just and other things i won't describe and yet it's that light that that begins to reveal as we get in a little closer we just see it more and more and yet jesus has overcome he's overcome And he's given us a a greater love and a greater light to fight sin because that's what you need to fight sin. Sin is not about the negative. Okay, I'm going to just be a good, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to have those thoughts. You need a greater love. You need more light. You need to stand and walk in the light and follow him by the Spirit of God. Now, maybe you need to put some rails in your life to to say, you know, I'm really struggling with with looking at stuff on my computer that's not appropriate. Maybe I need to throw out the computer or have accountability software, whatever. That's fine. But you need a greater love that you don't want to go to those things in the first place that you need to walk in the light so those things are exposed and that's what Jesus gives us that's what he gives us a greater love a greater hope not just you know sin management But to say there's something better than my own wife and my own kids and my own job and my own responsibilities, I'm not going to build my identity on those things anymore. I'm not going to build my whole life on those things. And if they're taken away, I'm still okay. It doesn't mean I don't love my wife or my kids or my job. But if I get those things right, I'm actually going to love her a lot better and love my kids a lot better and love you a lot better when my ultimate hope, my ultimate love, my ultimate joy is found in the light of the world, Jesus Christ. So let me give you just, you may leave the church after this, that's fine is that if you have problems with me or problems with the church, the best thing we can do here is not to indict me or our leadership or whatever, it's to deal with your own heart. Honestly. Because I have to do that too, Right? To say, why do I do that? Why do I look at everyone and go, well, you're the problem and you're the, right? Is the way you have loving relationships and grace-filled relationship is to, to come back to the light of the world. Let him be the center. And that way you can be gracious and you can be understanding and you can listen and be patient to other people rather than just blow them up and go, you're the problem. It's always coming back to him. And our capacity to love our neighbors is all predicated on how much we come back to him. And I want to finish just with this reality is that Jesus, and this fit, all fits together, but, but Matthew 5, Jesus calls us to be a city on a hill as a church. <clears throat> and 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it takes gives light to all those in the house. The same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who... It, excuse me, who is in heaven. How does New City Church <clears throat> shine their light in dark places? As they get up close to the one who gives the light. and They stay there. and They love being there. And they follow him and they trust him and they emulate him and they obey him and they, they get to know him through his word and they get to know him uh, uh, as they walk by, by, by the Spirit. If you want to be a city on a hill, it doesn't begin with being a city on a hill. It doesn't begin with good works. But, but as you get close to the light, guess what? Good works just flow out of you because there's a spirit of gratitude. There's a spirit of, of thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. I can't believe what I used to be, but now what I am. That I used to be in darkness, but the photosynthesis of the universe has come, and he has blown me up, and now I can see, and now I understand who I am. I understand what's gone wrong in the world. And now here I am, Lord. Oh, use me. Here I am. Don't you love Isaiah 6? When Isaiah comes in encounter with the glory of God, what does he say? I live among a people of unclean lips. He sees his own sin. He sees the sin of his people. But I've I've seen your glory, and you've forgiven me. Here am I, Lord. Send me. That's how it works. And so our, our, our role as pastors, as leaders, as a church is not to guilt and shame you into doing good works into being salt and light in our city and in our world, but it's to get you up close to the light. Because light will always ooze out when we're close to that light. When we see this Jesus lifted up on the cross, dying for our sins, when we see him resurrected from death, being our living hope. And as we walk in the light, our light begins to shine. And our only response is thank you, thank you, thank you. How can I serve you, O oh God? How can I point others to your light? And so every, every week we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, by the breaking of bread and the Dipping of that bread in the cup, the, the, the body represented the broken body of Christ, the, the loaf there, and the, the cup represented the shed blood of Christ for our, our sins. But, but what's so beautiful about communion is that, that Jesus, we've, we've read this a couple times now in, in John chapter 1, the true light has come into the world, Jesus Christ. That he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And, and he says that anyone that believed, receives him, believes in his name, has the right to become children of God. So if you've received this light and you've received this Jesus and and you're trusting him by faith, you're welcome to come. That's the only prerequisite. Come and enjoy, eat and drink, and remember the light has come into the world to push back darkness in your life and in the universe. And he did it all for you. And if you're not a Christian, we'd ask you to stay seated, but we want you to come into the light. Because everyone's led by something or someone. Everyone believes there's some light out there that's going to guide us, and we're looking for it, and we're, we're searching for it, but Jesus has come and said, I am the light of the world. That all the direction, all the leading, all the things you're looking for is found in me, the photosynthesis of the universe. Now, I'm not naive because I know my own heart this morning, is that there's probably some places in our lives where we see some darkness some darkness that God will graciously forgive, but I think it's important for us to continually bring those before God. That, so before we, you take the supper this morning, I just want to encourage you. You don't have to do this. I can't make you do anything. Uh, but maybe there's some things in your life you just want to lay down, some dark things. It's just like, God, I'm, I'm maybe just not trusting you in this area of my life. Maybe there's some sin that's just overwhelming me right now, some fear, some doubt, some pain, some struggle. God, I just want to lay that before you and ask that your light would come more and more into my life and push back the darkness. And Jesus will freely forgive us of those sins. So why don't we just take a moment to do that before I pray. Father, thank you for Jesus who is the light of the world. Who has shown his light in our hearts. So that we could see the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And God, wherever there is darkness in us, God, may you continue to push that out. And we know the more we follow you, oh God, we just see more and more of it and it is painful. But we know, Father, you're a loving Heavenly Father. That you don't come into our souls and our hearts and our lives with a chainsaw, but you come with a scalpel. And you gently cut away those dark, broken, sinful parts of us. Because if you came with a chainsaw, none of us could stand. So thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection that gives us hope. I pray this week, God, as we look to this light of the world, as we get near him, as we walk closer to him, that that same light would shine through our lives and shine bright for the world to see so that we could point others to the same light. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.